So Jesus declared that he would build his church and he uh, begins to do that in the book of Acts and we see that Luke records how Jesus through his spirit begins to build the church and we've looked at different themes. I want us to pick up with a, a passage that we've been reading for several weeks uh, but it gives our next theme and it's in Acts chapter 2 starting in verse 42 and it says, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common, and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Jesus begins to build his church through his spirit. Not only, and the reason I say he begins it because he, he continues to do that even till today. And so all the things that we see in the book of Acts are the things that Jesus continues to do through his spirit in building his church. Uh, we've seen in Acts 2, after he sends the spirit, that he raises up leaders. He gives them boldness to witness to Jesus. He draws the lost to faith in Christ. He gives them the courage to be baptized. The Holy Spirit teaches them from God's word. Uh, two Sundays ago, Brother Will shared uh, about prayer that the Holy Spirit drove them to their knees to depend upon God in prayer. Uh, Byron talked about last week miracles, and I looked at that, and uh, the guys did a, did a great job in the, in the sermons, and uh, Byron was really primed for that. And I have a joke, but it's, I don't have time this morning. We have to press on, okay? Anyhow, Byron preached on miracles last week and how, how the Spirit does the supernatural uh, to bring people to believe in Jesus which was the point and so we begin to see these themes uh, in verse 42 and actually three weeks ago I talked about how the Holy Spirit teaches us from his word and we pick that up in verse 42 when it says and they continued steadfastly in the Apostles doctrine but then it says and fellowship now that word fellowship in the Greek is a word koinonia um, uh, this is your weekly Greek lesson uh, to educate you uh, in a different language, koinonia. Uh, koinonia is a Greek word, and uh, the root of that word is koine, which means common. And so uh, when they use the word koinonia in the Greek, it speaks about, it comes with the root of common, but it speaks about, koinonia is the state of sharing life in common sharing life in common koinonia and we uh, we I think we struggle quite honestly for an English word that says what does that what does it mean to share life in common and we have this word and it's the way we translate koinonia in in our English and it, we say fellowship but for you Baptist people for me to say fellowship you're thinking what is the covered dish I'm supposed to bring to the fellowship and so we have a certain connotation of what fellowship means. I want you to understand, in the, in the New Testament, fellowship, koinonia, is not an event where we serve a covered dish. It is a way 
of life. In fact, when you begin to read this, it's a little bit different, and I'm sorry to double down on Greek this morning, but the Greek tense in verses 42 through 47 is, is a little bit different than you see normally. It is it is called the imperfect tense, and all these verbs are in, in the imperfect tense, which means it is an action that is happening in the past, but it is in continuous action. So it speaks about what is the habit of their life, what was the, the pattern that they did. And so literally in the Greek, it talks about, if we just picked up verse 42, and it says, it would really commun- it, it says, and they were continuing steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and so on. And then it, and it talks about even the scriptures that we will come to in verse 44, it's this continuous action. So in verse 44, it's going to say, Now all those uh, who believed were being together and were having all things in common and were selling their possessions and goods and were dividing them among all as anyone had need. And so there is a sense, as Luke records this, that he, he puts it in the imperfect tense because it was the pattern of their life which that's what I want you to get when it comes to koinonia, sharing life and together. It was not an event. It was a way of life for the early church. And so Luke, as he is relating what those days were like, uh, he tells us that um, there was this koinonia, there was this sharing of life in common. There are two verses of Scripture from this Verse 44 and 45. It says, Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. <laughs> it's the same word. It's not, it's not koinonia, but it's the shortened form. It just means, it's just common. But it, begin, it, it begins to denote what the way of life was. But they had all things in common. Verse 45. And sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. Uh, Luke will say it here and he will say it in the second scripture that I will read. There was a sense of unity in the church. There was a sense of unity. In the midst of the apostles' teaching, in the midst of prayer, miracles, the baptisms, the loss coming to faith, the boldness, raising up leaders... The theme that we pick out is that he speaks about a unity in the church that they were together. And specifically in verses 44 and 45, it was expressed in the sharing of material things. But I believe it was broader than that. Now here's my truth for the day. And it is this. This is what sums it all up, is that the Holy Spirit produces generosity of life. When we look to the book of Acts, the next theme that emerges when we come to Koinonia and them sharing their life in common, it is this truth that the Holy Spirit produces generosity of life. You get this. The Holy Spirit was doing this in order to build the church. One of the things that needs to exist in the church for it to be built is there needs to be a generosity of life 
That's, that's my phrase. I, I didn't want to just say generosity because even that's a loaded word. And you say, well, preacher, then you're always talking about, that's about money, right? And then, Well, no, actually, when you come to the book of Acts, their generosity was more than just material things, even though that's uh, many times the way they were expressing that generosity. It relates to their time. It relates to their talents. There was, and so I, I like this phrase that the Holy Spirit produces generosity of life, whether that's material, whether that's my time, whether that's my talents. No, that's what the Holy Spirit is producing in my life. This generosity of life is the foundation of unity in the church. There's going to be another component, and I'm going to talk about it next week to this. But understand, for the church to have unity... It must be founded first on a generosity of life. And I want us to kind of talk about that and see that in the other scriptures uh, in the book of, of Acts. But this generosity of life characterized the early church. Generosity of life is when individuals are giving themselves for the common good if you're writing a definition that's just kind of what I would say to kind of capture this idea that generosity of life is when individuals are giving themselves for the common good and I've chosen to use that word common in there because that's what we see in the scriptures in fact uh, let me just give you my last Greek lesson for the morning the word for generosity in the Greek has the root of common. It's, so there's several forms of this word, common. Koinonia, which means what well, we translate fellowship. But when you come to the word for generosity, it is this word to share in common. Generosity means that I'm sharing with you what I have. That is, that is generosity. And so generosity of life was one of the characteristics of the early church and we see that in verses 44 and 45. Luke repeats this, doubles down on it in chapter 4, picking up in verse 32. Um, in fact, the only story in between this is the story of Peter and John healing the man being arrested, giving testimony to Jesus, coming back to the church and praying. And immediately, Luke picks up this theme again. And he says in Luke 4, verse 32, Now the multitude of those who believed were of one heart and one soul. Neither did anyone say that any of the things he possessed was his own, but they had all things in common. There's that word again. And then verse 33, and with great power, the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. It's kind of interesting to me that in verse 32 that Luke talks about those who believed as a multitude. And it's one thing to have unity among a small group, but he said there was a multitude of people but they were of one heart 
and one soul. There were masses of people, thousands of them, but one heart and one soul. And so he, he talks about them being together in the sense of unity. He uses those words, one heart and one soul. But he goes back to this thought, this theme, which is the foundation to the unity, and that was generosity of life in verse 13. 32, the second part, he says, neither did anyone say that any of the things that he possessed were his own. You've got to get this idea. We're going to come back to it. But the opposite of sharing life in common is to say, well, that's mine. That's my own. And it says, this is kind of just the other side of the coin, that he said that no one said that any of the things they possessed were their own. But then once again, that phrase, they had all things in common. Now verse 33 starts and he says, And with great power the apostles gave witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. But it's that second phrase that I want us to think about for just a moment. And great grace was upon them all. It's a little bit odd to me. That as Luke is recording from the eyewitnesses about those days in the early church, he talks about the unity, talks about the generosity of life. But all of a sudden he has this phrase and it says, and great grace was upon them all. And I don't even know all that Luke means by that. But I think he's trying to capture this idea that in those days there was just this sense of, of not just grace, but great grace. Not only, and I don't think it's just that they had favor with the people outside the church, but he said there was just this environment in the church that there was great grace. And I would continue with you this morning that the only way for a church, a group of people, to have a sense of great grace is if there is generosity of life in which everyone is saying whatever I have, whatever I can give is not mine, but it is common and I'm going to share that. Now, we're not going to have, we're not, our decision today is not to become communists today, okay? I know y'all are going, I'm feeling a little bit uneasy, Brother Daryl, because if you're asking me to drop off my wedding ring at the altar this morning, deeds to, you know, titles to my car and deeds to my land, then, oh, you're going to need to pump the brakes, buddy. Uh, we're not going there. Um, and these, these are extraordinary days, and there were things that they did in those days. And I, quite honestly, I don't want to get bogged down in that. Just to say, I'm not continuing, the scripture's not continuing for communism. Um, but it is contending for a generosity of life that they were sharing life in common. It, it's, this is not my life. It is his life, and however I can do it. I would contend today the only way there can be unity, a, a spirit of unity and great grace and power and favor is if the individual's in the church, and the principle even goes beyond that, have a sense of this in common, that I am sharing my life in common. I am, I am willing to be 
here's my phrase, a giver instead of a taker. And so I, I would contend that there was great power and great grace in those days because they were saying that things were not their own but they were sharing their life in common. I believe that's true for a church. The only way a church can have this sense of great grace and unity and being together is when people are in it for the common good and for the cause of Christ. I would say a church begins to break down and, and beyond that, nations begin to break down. When everybody says, oh, that's mine and I'm going to get what's mine. Let me, let, me dub, let me go even further. Let me get a little bit more personal. Families begin to break down when everybody says, oh, it's about me and listen, I deserve this and I need this and this is what you ought to be doing for me. Um, the only way you can have that sense of great grace is when there is this generosity of life that I'm not in it for me, but I'm in it for us. Luke goes on and talks about, he gives a great example. Uh, verse 34 and 35 first. He says, and he, kind of, he just kind of repeats this theme. He says, nor, uh, this is Acts 4, 34. Nor was there anyone among them who lacked for all who were possessors of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of the things that were sold and laid them at the apostles' feet and they distributed to each one as anyone had need. And then he gives this positive example of Barnabas. Barnabas is introduced uh, in this and, and it says in Josie or the other form would be Joseph. And Joseph who was also named Barnabas by the apostles, which is translated son of encouragement, a Levite of the country of Cyprus, having land, sold it, and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. So it's kind of the third time you've seen that, and we're going to kind of pick up that theme next week. But the positive example is Barnabas. In fact, we're going to see Barnabas... Um, all the way for the next few chapters, all the way till Acts 15, where he fades off the scene. But Barnabas is introduced. And it actually, is, his Hebrew, his Jewish name was Joseph, but he got a nickname from the apostles. And I don't know if it stemmed from this, but if you trace the stories of Barnabas in the New Testament, you'll see he was always an encouragement, whether it's to the Antioch church, uh, whether it's to Saul of Tarsus, um, whether it was the missions team that was coming out of Antioch. Barnabas is always an encouragement. And so I, I don't know when he got the nickname. And I don't know if it was from the gift, the land. I, we don't really know details about the land that he sold. Maybe it was in his homeland of Cyprus. I don't know. But he's given a nickname by the apostles. His name is Joseph, but his nickname becomes Barnabas, which is in the Aramaic son of encouragement and I realized wow what a testimony of someone's life that he was such an encouragement he had I, I believe he exhibited so much of what we're talking about generosity of life 
that they just nicknamed him. And, and really, we, we draw encouragement when we live out this generosity of life that I'm in it for other people, I'm not in it for me. And that, that becomes contagious in any group of people, whether that's a church or a nation or family. Well, David Box, the story turns here. Acts 5. We talk about a lot of things in Africa. I think we probably talked about Ananias and Sapphira. Hmm. If Barnabas is the positive illustration, example, hmm, we have a negative example in the story in Acts 5, 1 through 11, uh, Ananias and Sapphira. Uh, not quite as happy, clappy a song as Barnabas is, okay? Uh, so it says, but... There's contrast. Okay. We, I just told you about uh, Barnabas. You know, and quite honestly, it kind of amazes me as Luke writes the history of the early church that we already have a negative story. This is going to be pretty graphic, okay? Um, pretty hardcore. It's amazing to me that Luke is so honest about what was going on in the church that he, he comes to this story and you think... Probably if we were writing the history, it's like, oh, I think we're just going to kind of gloss over that whole Ananias and Sapphira, okay? There were kind of some hard days in the church. Something kind of bad happened. But he goes immediately, he says, but a certain man named Ananias with Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession and he kept back part of the proceeds, his wife also being aware of it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You have not lied to men but to God then Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and breathed his last. And then kind of the understatement in the scripture, so great fear came upon all who heard these things. And the young men arose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Now it was about three hours later when his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter answered her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. She, she said, yes, for so much. Then Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Then immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. And the young men came in and found her dead and carrying her out, buried her by her husband. So great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. Uh, just for clarification's sake, the sin of Ananias and Sapphira 
was not in keeping back some of the money for themselves. The sin of Ananias and Sapphira was their deceit in telling people they had sold it and were giving the entire amount. Giving was voluntary. Peter says that in his words. So my question is, why would Ananias and Sapphira keep back some for themselves? Well, the answer has to be because of their own self-interest and self-protection. It's like, you know what? I don't know if this thing's going to really pan out and this whole Jesus thing's going to end up the way we want it. I, so I think, yeah, we're willing to sell it. Other people are doing that. The other thing is not everybody sold their houses, okay? You, you find that in the scripture. But you know what? Wisdom might say we probably need to hmm, kind of set aside a nest, nest egg here that just in case this thing kind of turns south and, you know, doesn't turn out so happy-clappy that, you know, we've got something to fall back on to. But the problem is they conspired and they deceived the church into saying, no, we, we're giving the whole Amount. I understand this is, a, this is an odd story in the scripture. Surely they kept back some out of self-interest and self-protection. Peter makes it very clear in his words to Ananias in verse 3 and to Sapphira in verse 9. They, they did not sin against man. They sinned and they did not just sin against God. He says you sinned against the Holy Spirit. That is so telling. Because it is the Holy Spirit that is producing this generosity of life. And to, so, to go counter to that and to fall into self-interest and self-protection means that you have lied to, you have violated the Holy Spirit because if the spirit produces generosity of life, then the flesh produces selfishness and us holding on to our own. <laughs> you don't have to teach a small child to be selfish. I've had some of the little angels at my house this weekend. Bless their little hearts. Some of them need to get saved soon. We're praying. For a spirit of conviction to come upon uh, some of them. Well, all of them. Let's just be honest here. But it's amazing to watch little kids and playing with toys. And even though Nan may buy two or three of those toys, there's seven of them. And they all want the same toy at the same time. Mine. And they don't want to share. Bless their little heart. You don't have to teach a child to be selfish because that's a part of the sin nature. I want to protect myself. I want to keep what is mine. It is only the Spirit of God that comes to change us that produces generosity of life. That the directional flow of my life is not inward, but the directional flow of my life is outward. It's only when God pours his life into you that you have the resources to say, I can give my life away because whatever I've been given was not mine. And there's more where that came from. <laughs>
It's an inexhaustible source of life and provision. And so the directional, when a person is filled by the Holy Spirit, the directional flow of their life is outward, not inward. It is in our flesh that we are selfish and we protect our own. And so in the story of Ananias and Sapphira, we don't have time to delve into the theology of it all. All I want to say is that God dramatically protects the unity of the church in the early days. You can take it up with God when you get there. God dramatically protects the unity of the church. In fact, it's interesting in verse 11 is the first time in the book of Acts that the word church. He kept talking about those who believe, those who believe, those who believe. But finally in verse 11 it says, so great fear came upon all the church and upon all who heard these things. There's one other scripture and I want to close with this. When Paul was addressing the Ephesian elders in Acts 20, in verse 35. Acts 20, 35, and I want to close with this. He says, I have shown you in every way, by laboring like this, that you must support the weak. And here it is. And remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. This is actually the only quote of Jesus that's included in the New Testament but it's not in one of the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Huh, a little bit of trivia. It's, this is not recorded in any of those Gospels. But Paul said, Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. And so theologically, we have to say that anyone who possesses the spirit of Jesus will live out these words that it is more blessed to give than to receive. We would have to say if people are filled with the spirit of Jesus, they will live out these words. And that's why I would contend theologically that it is the spirit of God, Jesus' spirit, that produces generosity of life in the followers of Jesus, when the Spirit of God fills us with the Spirit of Jesus, we will live out the words, it is more blessed to give than to receive. We will be givers more than takers. I want to say this, two sides of the same coin, but to apply this and to close out this morning. That any church, nation, family is filled with people who are takers, it cannot stand. Church will not stand if it's filled with people who are takers. Because eventually you just deplete the resources. It doesn't, it doesn't work. A family. The pastor's been in his office. I've had conversations with people. When you get to the point where everybody's just in it for them, no, we're breaking down. 
this is not sustainable. It's not going to stand. It's true for a nation. Don't have time to pitch a tent here, but the downfall of America will be it will be filled with takers and not givers. It can't stand. You know the only hope I have for the country of Ukraine? Even though they don't have the military resources that Russia has, is that they are united. You know what unites them? It is this sense of we are all in it for the common good. And my prayer would be that God would give them courage to stand in the midst of insurmountable uh, force and in that unity of standing in, the, in everyone for the common good that it will turn. Uh, any church, nation, family cannot stand if it is filled with takers but I want to I end on a positive note. A church and a nation and a family will stand when it is filled with people who are givers. Who will live for the common good. Who will say, it's not about me. It's not about mine. It's not about me getting my way. And in fact, not only will it stand... I, be I believe you see this great power and strength in the early church because they were all living out this koinonia. They were sharing life in common. The individuals were giving themselves for the common good. And when the Holy Spirit produces that in people's life, then there's great strength and power. I think it's some of what Jesus meant when he said, by this will all men know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Amen? Amen. Would you stand with me this morning? And let me pray. Uh, Byron and I will be at the front this morning. Uh, Father, today we ask that through your spirit that you would take the um, the sinful flesh out of our heart and Jesus you would replace it with your spirit and Father I pray that you would give us generosity of life not just that the world would see it but Father we would see it among ourselves Father, we thank you for your provision in Jesus. <laughs> and we pray that you'd free us to live out those words of Jesus that is more blessed to give than receive. And so, Father, make us givers more than takers. And Father, we trust this to you and we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>